So welcome to next one, the Spatial Podcast. And um, Seb, we've had a request from a listener who asked about... a listener? About, yeah, we have got one. And it was all about the history of how we ended up focusing on data quality. So I thought what we'd do is maybe do a little bit of history of where we've sort of come from the last 20 years. So how we've ended up at One Spatial as well, you know, starting with the Cambridge division that we've got and the various companies that have merged along the way through different M&A and... Then also, you know, talk about how that's evolved into what the listener requested, which was the the focus on data quality. Okay, so well, I mean, that all started at Cambridge University's famous Cavendish Labs in was back in the sixties, and they built this machine which automatically digitizes the photographic film from bubble chamber experiments, and these captured the paths of fundamental particles that given the results they needed. So uh, many versions of what happens at the LHC at CERN. And so this machine used lasers and really accurately controlled mirrors to sweep across the film and capture the lines on the film. They called it Sweepnik because it could sweep as fast as Sputnik, which shows how long ago it was that that was a, a high tech reference. And that span off into a company called LaserScan to sell these machines to other research areas. The old uh, laser and scanning stuff. I remember because even in the teams that we had and the, the way the buildings were set up, it was very much like hardware, not software at that space, not even geospatial, I guess. But there was the spatial interest in once you've captured and mapped that information. But the expertise, like you say, I remember the stories around the printers and those plotters for printing banknotes and huge projected laser display screens and all that sort of stuff. So digitizing from paper maps there was there was a lot going on then and but then eventually we moved on to managing spatial data yeah that's right because i mean digital mapping was emerging then uh, and because it was such an effort to do it the analog way so it was a really obvious use case because there were you had to literally carve maps into printing plates and if you needed to make an update you'd have to buff out an area and rescribe it or eventually redo the whole plate when the changes are too large so from digital mapping um, laser scan as it was there then moved into creating these advanced systems to manage this data using some groundbreaking object-oriented spatial database techniques with uh, databases with full object life cycles and triggered automatic behaviors and a topology engine and then built applications on top of that to view and edit and publish the data but initially that was mostly still driving paper map production and then actually the relational database vendors started adding spatial capability to what they did. And so going from our OO spatial database that we'd built out, there was that, okay, well, now there's some, some new things we could probably do in the, in the mainstream tech. So vendors such as Esri focusing on easy to use UIs, Windows-based applications primarily then. Um, we did at that point as LaserScan, we sort of did take a design choice and decided to move away from database and GIS and needed to integrate with what were then competitors at that point by making sure we could provide some nice smart capabilities and better integration points to enhance these other systems. Yeah, and that's right. The first step we took was the topology engine um, and moving that to Oracle in the form of a product called Radius Topology. And one thing it did is it provided much faster, unambiguous spatial queries, and that was the selling point. But actually it turned out what people were most interested in was the side effects, the side effects of snapping misaligned data and complaining or flagging up errors in the geometries that it did when it was building the topology. So actually that was our first indication or our first driver to focus more on the spatial data quality. 
I remember that as well, Seb. I always remember thinking early on when we took on that work and that radius topology program span out, we were always thinking, right, what are the real benefits around that topological capability, especially with the sort of national scale customers that you had. And when you do things right, I remember us being really proud of the topological query performance, you know, thousands of times improvements in performance and data quality just by applying a sort of topological perspective into problem solving, whereas lots of other people were still looking at it from a geometric perspective. So the results were mind blowing, like proper diverse thinking into how do we solve some of these problems. But you're right, whereas we were making sure that the databases and the non-functional aspects, so like performance and data quality were key. And I remember at a national scale, even when we focused on improving the quality of the data, so we could try and increase the confidence that people had in it and make sure that what we were doing and how we performed all, all that data work, what often grabbed the headlines in those projects were not the improvements in the quality of the data or the new analysis that we could do, it was, oh, our systems suddenly seem to have started going faster. So the speed improvements that they saw in other applications that just so happened to use this data for visualization or sharing, they genuinely started going 10 times faster. Just because what we'd actually done, a little side effect of the data quality processes, was we just cleaned up a huge amount of redundant noise in the data that they had. So improving the quality of the data had lots and lots of benefits. And I just remember thinking, yeah, all of these benefits and improvements and areas where we were adding value to the customers, we need to make sure we celebrate all of those. And on, on top of that as well, what you're mentioning, I know there's been a number of acquisitions along the way for us as well, where we look to spot companies with a good fit and good beliefs and customers similar to ours when it comes to building software and having that data focused view on business applications. I mean, back in 2004, it was originally Systeco from Norway that we acquired. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it was around that time that laser scan was renamed to One Spatial, and that was because laser scanning was becoming a big industry and it was just causing confusions when people asking, you know, what's the resolution of our laser scanners? That's true. Yeah, that was the main change, wasn't it? That time, 2004, from laser scan to One Spatial. And then a few years later, about 2007, I think, there was a combination of IME and Proteus solutions that we bought, so expanding in Scotland and in Ireland. And then later, there's obviously a reverse takeover with Avizen, where we were wanting to float on the stock exchange. And they had a floated company that had just sold its subsidiary and were looking for the next growth. And then in, in France, meanwhile, Star had merged with APIC to form Star APIC. We acquired those and that became One Spatial France, as we've got now. And then more recently, a similar sort of historical story where another couple of French companies, so GMAP and Images merged previously, so GMAP Images, so then We've acquired those as well, just to continue that that growth for One Spatial France and, and accelerate really the refactoring of our French business and applications and moving those onto the Esri platform. Yeah, so there's well, it's probably about seven or eight companies there actually all went together into what is now One Spatial. Um, and then looking back at the, the Cambridge branch of that, the focus on data quality that was provided by this topology building process, we then moved into a much broader scope, which was using the or developing the, what is now patented rules engine to be able to solve just general data quality and data enhancement problems. Um, and that's where we developed this, this no-code rules language, which initially was in a product called Radius Studio, now called One Integrate. 
and that lets people define these rules and apply it to data from various sources and then you do that so that you can measure the quality and you can improve the quality and then transform it into different uses i mean in the non-spatial world that's always been called qa or qc or master data management and so it was all about applying those principles um, but with the added benefit of also being able to deal with the spatial aspect of the data so we've that's where we coined the term location master data management and the other thing that was of note there is we were lucky that most of our focus had been on server side and automated processing which means the software is well suited for us to deliver it as a SaaS solution as well as on-premise and that's where we are Seb still focus for us when we're building our open systems we're looking at that data engineering perspective into all the problems and building professional enterprise software components and solutions along the way so we did talk on a previous podcast, what do we mean around data quality? So when is data, when is it good enough for one purpose or when is it totally useless for another? And we've always had that view into trying to work out how do we recognize the data quality impact and you know what does it mean in terms of the financial impact or risk? So is it expensive? Are we missing opportunities? Is it causing delays? The confidence that people see in that? Is the data trusted? Can it be used in the business correctly? Productivity improvements. So is the quality of data increasing workloads where it shouldn't need to, creating production delays, and even around risk and compliance, because sometimes there's a need from a data quality perspective to conform to regulations and think about it in terms of investment risk or competitive challenges, things like that. Yeah, that's right. And you can see um, in industry standards as well, defining data quality and often it gets grouped into two categories, accuracy and completeness. So by accuracy, it could be positional accuracy. So is it in the right location? Topological accuracy. So are the relationships between these things properly reflecting what's in the real world? So are our pipes connected or is this fence really on the boundary of this parcel? And then you've also got temporal. So how the feature changes over time and is it up to date? And has that house been extended or is there, is there coastal erosion? And then also thematic accuracy. So is this classified correctly along with the attributes? Is it a river or a canal? Is it actually tidal or fluvial or fresh or salt water? All those sorts of things. And then the other aspect is completeness. So is there any missing information? So does a, does a pipe have an appropriate connector, for example? Is there a missing pipe? Is there sufficient detail in the geometry or even the attributes for what it's needed? So is this land parcel representation suitable for use in a legal property transfer? Or is the building represented in 3D with a level of detail that shows us or allows us to calculate the available roof space for solar panels? So that's examples of what we mean by completeness. And they're all good points, said that we keep referring back to when we kind of become some of part of our mantra and our, the principles that we look to take into how we still approach solving problems like this. You brought it up at the beginning, a sort of master data management or location master data management way. So we're always thinking, how can we do those above things and embrace automation, make sure what we design gives us, you know, an approach that where we've got that repeatability and so then we've got a traceability steps in what we've done so we know what happened and when from from that audit perspective we want to make sure that we avoid as much unnecessary complexity as we can make sure the systems we build focus on the typical problem and not being distracted by all the exceptions of things that could go wrong so changing the way we think about things there with the rules-based approach it's always given us that evidence-based approach to everything and you talked about how we've evolved the, the sort of no-code environment to try and break down any sort of blockers or barriers where collaboration would be impacted. 
and doing it in a way so we can not just collaborate, but then communicate what we've been building out with lots of different people so we can work in a nice, efficient, agile way to build working solutions with everyone. That's not by any coincidence, coincided with how everyone's thinking about working in an agile way and taking agile approaches to things. Even considering it as these types of data challenges in a two-stage approach to what we do. So first of all, if we jump straight into your data engineering problems, let's work out, well, let's get a baseline of what we know now. Make sure we can test all the assumptions that people might have about the data that's going to be passed into this you know, problem solving part of the solution. Let's test all those assumptions and the number of projects that lots of people will have where issues with the data suddenly become things we, we should have thought about that earlier and we know we should have thought about it earlier. Well, again, it just becomes part of our mantra. Well, let's test it early then and make sure. So that data discoverability is important. What are all the data sets and sources that we're going to need to worry about? Let's work out what all the implicit or explicit relationships are between them. Let's agree what that quality mission statement is. What are we trying to target? What are the measures that we're going to put in place to, to help us along the way? And make sure we include both the, the spatial and the non-spatial ones. Even if we're involved from a company perspective and we've got that uniqueness around looking at the spatial aspect of a problem. I know in a lot of projects we build out, they might be the hard, unique bits, but quite often 20% of the business rules you might write to check and QA your data might have that complex spatial part, you know, and that's the make or break bit. That's what we need to do to deliver the solution. But actually 80% of the business rules might be all attribute based or looking up code lists, and they're just as important to make sure the solution is successful as, as the spatial part. So you build out all those rules, understanding what they are to measure and test that quality mission and make sure, as you mentioned, we consider both the spatial and the non-spatial part of it. And then we can genuinely move to that first baseline assessment step. So actually apply those business rules to the data using the products that you mentioned with one integrate and give us that high level metrics of what compliance looks like, but also right down to the individual detail level. So which features have failed which business rules so we can start to plan and design systems and workflows on how we fix that and improve it. Yeah, that's right. And because once you've done that, then the, the master data management part kicks in where that's what we're interested in the ongoing operations. So automating the outcome from updates and revisions. What that means is that the master data is still maintained and updated using whatever business process or technologies are best suited to an organization needs or an organization's needs. It doesn't mean you need to centralize everything into one big system. And it's all about managing the flow between them. So, for example, if a one spatial management suite is utilized as the data management process, then the data quality process is automatically enabled and it's an integral element of that workflow. But if a, another data management solution or solutions are used, then our technology components like OneIntegrate are easily incorporated into those workflows to ensure that all the required data quality standards are met. What you can then do is use that to a measure the conformance of your data quality so run rules produce reports tell us whether data does not meet them and then potentially also with that improve the data so I'd, again ideally you'd use automated rules to solve as many of those corrections automatically within whatever safe limits are defined by the rules authors and then flag any remaining issues for manual correction but the aim is to require manual correction only for the more complex issues so humans can prioritize those more subjective types of tasks so what we have allows us to build 
these sort of simple, elegant solutions. And we work hard to productize innovative ways to remove the, the waste in the process and use the data in a smarter way. And those core principles are, are embedded in the products that allow you to be agile. Because it, it really is a type of knowledge engineering where the knowledge is built into this central shareable system of rules and you don't have to start from scratch every time and you don't need to embed them into every piece of software you're using to clean the data or, or get new functions get the business to contribute into that central set of rules that you can develop but you can also use that as a place to develop and test ideas and hypotheses on that data in real time and that just really ensures you're working in a lean way as I mentioned earlier, so there's so many benefits along the way when you're doing that. So, you know, it's a definition really of just trying to be smart about it all. There's a money side to it. So saving money through what we're doing, there's genuine tangible paybacks. So eliminating inaccuracies and duplication of your information, just as we were talking about earlier. So an effective data solution really does allow you to sort of develop an initial assessment of what you've got and your data quality and then help you put an effective plan in place for the management and then continuous improvement and monitoring of that in the future. The other bit to add on to that as well is when you start thinking about building those solutions in the right way and off the back of some, some sound principles, it's always fascinating to watch and see all the different innovative ways that people start to spot new opportunities when they focus on the data. Yeah. So it's about creating the new opportunities by once you've harmonized the data together from all the different systems and improving the technology and the business teams and start looking at the data, you start to trust the data a bit more and you start to spot new gaps that maybe weren't part of the data program that you were looking at at the beginning. And it genuinely motivates you to kind of think, right, Actually, we can harness this information, this data in a totally new way now. So people start to just get fresh ideas, a bit more motivation and drive and inspiration to come up with new things to make even more improvements. Yeah, that's right. And that sort of removing the fear of data really helps to make the data approachable. And that, I mean, we've always tried to be as a company approachable and make our products approachable which means that if you know what a good item of data is supposed to look like, you can design and develop processes to report on issues where it's not like that. Or if you can define what a, a correction to a, a poor quality piece of data is, then again, you can define rules to automate that correction or at least train people to do it. And that helps you to automate these solutions to solve real problems. These tools are, that we use and our tools help to capture the business rules and work in collaboration with people across the business who are using the data or affected by the data. And that can help define this data quality mission or target. And you can then use the rules engine to certify your data as being compliant with the data quality mission and make those compliance statements available for publication along with the data and then the people who use the data can now adopt it with confidence and have some some record of that and that genuinely does that little brief history there so it does bring us back to where we are today so we're still cranking out the mdm solutions for customers bringing our unique experience especially when it comes to location to it hence the the lmdm strategy that people will be able to read about and it's it really influences particularly for you and me, it strongly influences the way we build out all our different software components and how we've brought it together under the, the umbrella of the One Spatial platform and plenty of product changes and innovations and technology decisions to make along the way yet. Yeah, that's right. Also, it's worth saying thanks to uh, both Paul Hardy and the, the Cavendish Labs website because of all the historical information that they've put online. Yeah, no, good point, Seth, good point.
Okay, thanks to everyone for listening again and um, keep a look out for the next podcast, which will be coming out pretty soon.